0: All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can declare and celebrate that together this morning, that you are great, uh, that we can uh, stand in awe together of all that you have made and the beauty of your creation. And we thank you um, for the chance to gather around your word right now, and we pray that you would help us to attend to it, to be open to what you want to say, uh, and to be transformed and changed for the better um, on account of what we read and what we understand. We invite your spirit to move. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are continuing this morning in our series, Before the Cross, where we're looking at Jesus' last words to his disciples before he was arrested. Uh, This is what's known as the farewell discourse. And we're picking up right where we left off last week, which is John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. John 15. Now, you might remember that last week, the last words Jesus said were, Come now, let us leave. And there are you know, scholars who debate why is it that Jesus says, come now, let us leave, in the middle of the farewell discourse. And we don't know for sure, but what I like to imagine is that Jesus and the disciples were in the upper room, they had talked for a while, you know, celebrated the Last Supper, and then they made their way downstairs and outside to the Jerusalem streets, and as they walked outside, they, they saw the Jerusalem foliage and the vines. And maybe the disciples remembered that throughout the scriptures, uh, vines and vineyards are used as a metaphor for the nation of Israel. And then Jesus begins to teach, and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. In other words, if you really want to see God's handiwork. Look at me. I am the true vine. Don't think of the nation of Israel as the true vine. Yes, the nation of Israel has a special part to play in God's plan. Yes, the nation of Israel is loved by God. But the nation of Israel is not the true vine because that particular vine has borne a lot of bad fruit. If you look throughout the history of the nation of Israel, what happens over and over again? The people end up worshiping false gods. They commit idolatry, spiritual adultery over and over and over again. During Jesus' time, the religious leaders of Israel were corrupt and money-hungry, power-hungry, legalistic. They have lost their way. And so Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am what Israel is supposed to be, faithful to the Father's will. And then Jesus continues in verse 2. The Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. I did a little research, and I realized that the word that gets translated as clean there is the same word, really, as prune. I don't know why the translators chose to make it different each time, but I think it reads more naturally if it just says, my father is the gardener, the father cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that will be even more fruitful. You are already pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. So what Jesus is saying is that his teaching is supposed to have the effect of making the disciples more fruitful. It's supposed to prune them so that they can be effective uh, ambassadors for God's kingdom. And of course, his word still does that for us today, his teaching. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from So Recently, I was talking to someone who goes to another church, um, and uh, she said, our church is getting older, it's getting smaller, how do you make a church grow? And I said, well, I don't know. Um, If I knew that, I could probably write a book and make a bunch of money. Uh, But I said, here's what I am confident of. If a church is going to have meaningful growth, it needs to be centered around Jesus. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Right? A church that isn't focused on Jesus is like a branch that has fallen off the vine. It's not going to produce any fruit, it's not going to produce any flowers, Right? it's, it's a stick. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that a church that focuses on Jesus and his teaching is going to explode in size. And it also doesn't necessarily mean that a church that does not focus on Jesus isn't going to grow. You know, a lot of things can gather a crowd. Good entertainment can gather a crowd. Good food can gather a crowd. Bad food can gather a crowd, actually. Um, You know, and it's not that there's anything wrong with entertainment or food, but Jesus says that when it comes to bearing fruit that will last, spiritual fruit, we can only do that if we are connected to him, if we stay focused on him, focused on his teaching, on his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus said that if anything replaces that focus, we will wither spiritually. You know, I think that When a church disconnects from Jesus, the true vine, there are two things that tend to happen. So one is that over time it just kind of fades. Um, When people do come, they don't feel like they experience God in any way. Uh, It's like they come for the living water, but they just leave thirsty. And so, over time, as the church becomes disconnected from Jesus, the life goes out of it, and it just fades, fades away. But the other thing that happens sometimes is that the church replaces the focus on Jesus for something else that gets people excited. And they just kind of stamp Jesus' name on it. So, you know, something that gets excited, people excited, like an entertaining show, or really partisan politics, Or nationalism, um, you know, how to get rich schemes, conspiracy theories, obsession with miracles, that kind of thing. And if a church focuses primarily on those kinds of things, it might grow, but it's like a growing monster um, because it won't be growing real spiritual fruit. That can only happen, real spiritual fruit, if we are connected to the true vine. So disconnected from Jesus, churches either become lifeless shells or growing monsters. So the question that we really should be asking is not how do, I, how do we get a church to grow, right? but how do we stay connected to Jesus? And are we connected to Jesus? Are we focused on Jesus? Five times in these verses, Jesus repeats a command remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. What does that mean? Obviously, Jesus thinks this is very important, and he thinks that the the disciples have some say in whether or not they do this or don't do this, right? Some translations put it as abide in me, dwell in me. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible, the message says, Live in me. And what I want to suggest is that when you hear remain in me, what you want to think is something like, Make your home in me. Stop wandering and set up camp with me. Put down roots with me. Stay here. Dwell. So Jesus' command here should make us think about the word home. I think most of us have strong feelings, associations with the word home, right? Home, when we're away from it for too long, we feel homesick, right? If we grew up in a home where we didn't feel safe, we might say, my house was not a home, right? If we're with somebody and we feel like we can be ourselves with them, we might say, I feel at home with you. Here are some of the things that I associate with the word home. Home is where we feel safe. Home is where we feel like we can be ourselves. Home is where we feel we, we belong. Home is where we feel loved and accepted. Home is where we can say, this is mine. And I think when you, when you put all that together with that word home, it's clear that all of us have a longing for home, right? And some of us may feel like that longing for home has never been satisfied our entire lives. That we've never had a place to go where we felt safe, loved, and at rest like a place where we can go and go to sleep and not worry, right? Maybe we had a rough upbringing and we never recovered from that. For others of us, we might feel like we once had a home, but home is gone now. You know, maybe for some of us home is where we grew up. We we felt all of this in the home that we grew up in, but somebody else owns that home now, most of the people who we associate with home have moved somewhere else or or died, and we feel like our true home is gone, and there's no getting it back. The word nostalgia actually means the longing for home. I didn't even know that until I was doing some research this week. if you're a nostalgic person, if you're the kind of person that likes to revisit media from your past, or, you know, collect memorabilia from previous decades that, that you remember, chances are the reason you like that is because there's something about these, these items, this media, that conjures this feeling of home, this time where you felt loved, accepted, safe. That's what's at the root. Of nostalgia. When I see images of the Ukrainian refugees fleeing, my heart breaks for them because I know that their home has been taken from them. Where is home when your country is not a safe place to be? My mom told me that shortly before my grandfather died he said I'm gonna go home now. And he was in his house when he said it. But apparently he felt like home was somewhere else. And that it was time to go there. We all have this longing for home. And what Jesus is saying is, let that longing lead you to me. Find your true home in me. You need a home that can't be burned down or lost to warfare, or lost because of the passage of time. You need a home that you don't have to get in a car or a plane to get to. You need a home that's always there within. Wherever you are in time time and space, it's there and you can get to it. He's saying, I can give you that, that home if you make your home in me. Go to me. Now, A couple weeks ago, we looked at when Jesus says that he's going to the cross so that he can prepare a place for us in the Father's house. Remember that? In other words, he's going to the cross so that we can have a home now and forever with God. He's going to the cross so that our longing for home can be satisfied. And it can be satisfied not only because his going to the cross opens the way for us to go to heaven when we die, but because his going to the cross opens the way for the Holy Spirit to come and live in us now. The way Jesus describes it is the Holy Spirit coming to make his home in us. When the Holy Spirit comes to make his home in us, we take our true home wherever we go. Make your home in me. You know, the fact that Jesus keeps repeating that command over and over again should remind us that we have a tendency to make our home in other places. There's always a temptation to do that. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Sometimes I wonder if a lot of the world's problems can be traced back to people having a longing for home and trying to satisfy it in the wrong ways, or looking to the wrong things to to satisfy that desire. I wonder if the root of a lot of racism and prejudice throughout history has been that when people encounter the unfamiliar, it doesn't feel like home, right? And so they they feel like the presence of the unfamiliar is a threat to home. There are some churches that will erupt in conflict if anyone tries to change anything. Uh, Churches have divided because someone tried to bring guitar or drums into the worship service. Or because the pastor stopped wearing a tie. Or uh, because... (laughs) You know, someone painted the fellowship hall a different color. And some people will object to those changes by saying things like, oh, the guitar, it's worldly, or drums are of the devil. And I think whether people realize it or not, what's underneath that anger is a feeling that home is being taken away. Because what's familiar feels like home. And all those things that we associate with home are bound up in the familiar, right? But if we find our home in Jesus, in his teaching, and in in the Holy Spirit that he sends to us, we're not always going to see the unfamiliar as a threat. Change isn't always going to be scary, right? Now, okay, don't get me wrong. It's not bad for us to have preferences, we all have preferences. That's part of being human. It's okay to prefer certain kinds of music over other kinds of music, certain worship styles over other worship styles, certain kinds of decor and food. That's normal. Preferences. Nothing wrong with that. But our sense of home needs to be rooted in something deeper than preferences. When we find our primary home in Jesus, that frees us and it opens us up to love those who are unfamiliar, and it enables us to be less afraid and less rigid, more open to change when the Spirit is leading us to change. So where is home for you? Is home rooted in something temporary? Or is home rooted in Jesus, the true vine? Let's keep reading. If any of us feel like emphasizing love is sappy or sentimental, that's too bad. Uh, Because Jesus just keeps talking about love, right? He keeps coming back to love throughout the farewell discourse. Earlier, he said that love should be the defining quality of his disciples, that the world should know who his disciples are because of the love that they have for one another. And he's also talked about the importance of following his commands. Right? If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And that raises the question, well, what are his commands? Well, here he makes clear what he wants us to think of when, he thinks, when we think of his commands, right? Is love each other. This is my command. Love each other. And not just love each other, but love each other as I have loved you. Which, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that is a... A scary command, right? Because how did Jesus love the disciples? He went to the cross. Jesus doesn't just call us to the kind of love that's polite, you know, just sort of a well-mannered desire for people to be healthy and wealthy. He, He calls us to the kind of love that is willing to make sacrifices, the kind of love that's patient, that's humble, and that's even willing to suffer. For the benefit of somebody else. That's a hard command. But Jesus says, If you're my disciples, this is the kind of love that you will demonstrate to each other and to the world. So, what does it look like when we're finding our home in Jesus? Well, what it looks like has a lot to do with love, both with receiving God's love for us and with giving love to those around us. Listen to these words again. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. Now, I realize that those verses can sound a little bit demanding. You know, Like Jesus is saying, if you do what I say, I'll love you. And if you don't, I won't. But I think we need to remember what we've learned about that word remain here. Remember, when you hear remain, you want to think, make your home in me. Right? So let's take the word remain out and put that in there. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, make your home in my love. If you keep my commands, you will make your home in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and make my home in his love. And let's go a little further and substitute my commands for the greatest commandment love one another, right? Then then it reads, Now make your home in my love. If you love one another, you will make your home in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command to love you and make my home in his love. So it sounds a little bit different when you think of it that way, when you read it that way, right? Jesus' point is not to say, This is how you earn. God's love. His point is that making our home in God's love and being loving are two sides of the same coin. They can't be separated. They go together. And of course, yes, Jesus does command us to to be loving, and he emphasizes the importance of that. But we have to remember what the leading command is here, the first one, which is, make your home in my love. right? Make your home in my love. In other words, recognize the love that I have for you first, and then live out of that. Sometimes we think it's supposed to work the opposite way around, right? Where we earn God's love, and then we feel secure. But Jesus begins with, make your home in my love. Rest in that. Set up camp there. So do you trust that God actually does care about you? Do you believe that? Like, really? Jesus says, make your home, build it on that truth, build it on that foundation. The belief that God's desire is to save you, to redeem you, to rescue you from the power of sin and death and the devil. Jesus is saying, make that truth your anchor in the storm." Make that truth your constant in a world that is constantly changing, where any other home that you set up can be lost. Find your true home in the love of God. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Jesus is saying, if you trust that I really love you, you will stay connected to the vine. But if you assume I don't, you will wither. Nothing is more spiritually toxic to you than to think that God doesn't love you, doesn't care about you. Build your home in his love. Now, I'm not naive. Okay, I know that life gives us reasons to doubt that God loves us. Life can be very hard. The world is filled with sin and evil and violence. But Jesus' command, make your home in me, it implies that we have a choice. Right? Despite any reasons to doubt that we might find, we can choose to make our home in God's love. Jesus has done what is necessary for us to do that. And if we do, we will also become more loving people. I want to close by emphasizing one more line. It's one that I don't think we should just breeze, breeze over. Right after this, Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. What Jesus ultimately wants for us is joy. If that's what I want you to hear there. Yes, he calls us to be willing to suffer. He calls us to be willing to do difficult things. He he even says you need to pick up your cross. But what's the end goal? The end goal is not suffering and pain. His, His goal for us is joy, true happiness, true peace. That is what God wants for us. He wants us to find home. He wants that longing for home that we have to be satisfied. And so he says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. Stay connected to me. Put down roots here in me. Don't wander away. Make your home here. Lord, we thank you uh, for these words. And we pray that your spirit would impress them on our hearts And Lord, if we're trying to find home in other places, help us to realize that our true home can be found in you. Lord, I pray that you would minister to each person here, directly to their heart, telling them that you love them and that you want them to live in the love that you have for them, to to, to build the house of, of their lives on that love. Help us all to do that, Lord.